Okay, so back to what I was saying. Um, and when we're when we're diving into this, this is what I really want to talk about because look, so Naomi Osaka got trained by the goat of tennis. The goat of tennis is also a black woman. You know, Serena Williams, Williams sisters, they cold. And you have to understand the power of the stage you stand on. A lot of, to me, a lot of that feels political. Yes, she herself has said she speaks on black issues. She does a tweet and she's probably donated money. And all of this is great. All of this is amazing. I love that she does all of this and continues to do all of this. She is my sister. I don't do all that just because you mix. That's not, I'm dying how I roll. You are black no matter mixed or not to me. But I want people to understand the power of the stage in which you stand on. So when you have an opportunity, which is pretty much what he's saying, like I will fight to to be like, yo, I want to represent Haiti because I this is the biggest platform. Like the Olympics next to being a government official and having that limelight is the biggest platform probably for an athlete. Like at that point, you represent, you're at this moment, you're representing an entire country. And you'd be like, yo, I want to represent Haiti because my black people in in um, Haiti are going through so much. So I, I want to stand up and do that. So when you have an opportunity to get on the national stage and you sort of simmer down and pull back, you know, that's something I will fight for. Because here's the thing, it's just, just like, you got a homie, right? You got a homie or a family member and you get them money or you might have shout them out a few times trying to get awareness to their business, their brand, such and such and such and such, which is all cool. And that does help. That does go away. But it's nothing like you bringing them on stage or on tour with you to where every time your name is in lights, you got a box and you got a, 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 a cutout of them there. So now they're getting their own form of push. They're getting their own progression. That's way different than, yeah, I sent you some money from my tour or I, 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 I tweeted you. Now they're able to give themselves out of the opportunity that you've gave them their own opportunity to shine. You know what I mean? You follow me? You know, so that's one of those, that's one of those things. And then he brings up, which I've actually seen this like on social media and TikTok. Um, are you psychologically black or are you bio biologically black? And that even plays to that even plays into what I recently ran into about the aspects of the identity of blackness and the diversity of that. You know, so blackness and Africanness. So this this is what I mean when I say psychologically black and biologically black, and how it ties to um, the diaspora African Americans because I'm an African American and things of that nature. So here's what it is: think of everybody as a tree. Think of every uh, personality or country that is a part of the African diaspora as a tree. So outside of America, I really view the development of blackness is still connected to Africanness. So basically they're like this. 
there's a stub of a tree. One side is their blackness, right? Whether it's it's physical or or you know slang anything and the smoothness of of just how we move. That's blackness. And then you've got Africanness. So the Africanness comes in when you see how cultures, whether it be in Santeria, whether it be in food outside of North America, intertwines with Africanness. The way that they cook their dishes. Like there's like fufu, uh, there's like a Latino word and a dish that looks and smells just like fufu or or, or, or jollof rice, which is basically rice and peas. Like that's that's where Africanness comes into outside of blackness. But the thing is, when it comes to the African American, they have we're like a we're like a a a scarred tree. We are like the scarred tree of the diaspora. So all we have is blackness. The Africanness is scarred. It's it's like burnt. It's like a charred tree. Only thing we necessarily have, which are, is our entire identity, is blackness. There, there really isn't Africanness, and it's very hard to get the African American of today to see Africanness because, like, example I always use: the African American literally knows the story. They know that we were enslaved, were enslaved Africans shipped on a boat from the motherland and brought to the Western world. So that includes the Caribbean and South America. But us, we were sent to the North. Now, for some apparent reason, you can say this story, you can be Pacific, and you can put these details in, but if you ask them, even though the very first Black people from the creation of the American Foundation were who? They were African. They'd be like, no, I ain't African. And I'd be like, what? They acknowledged, yeah, we were enslaved and we got, they acknowledged every other detail. It's like starting, it's like starting the book at the middle of the story. And it, 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 it's, it's crazy to me sometimes. How do you start a book at the middle of the story and you disregard the beginning? Because the beginning is the introduction and how you get to the middle of the story and how you get to the end. I don't understand that. And no, I am not saying that, oh, you want us to, I'm not saying you got to abandon the identity of my black culture. No, I will never throw that away. That is so much a part of who I am as a black man in America. What I am saying is, is that, bro, there is more to this. There is more to you. And the more you understand that there is more to you, the better you can communicate with your kinfolk outside of North America. The better you can communicate with your kinfolk in Africa, the better you can communicate with your kinfolk in the Bahamas, in um, Jamaica, in, in Mexico, in, in, in the PR, in the DR, in Puerto Rico, in Dominican. You know, like, that's what I mean when I say that. Um, but one of the last things I want to touch on was the marriage aspect, um, even though we're still talking about... Um, Interracial relationships, but as far as the marriage aspect. So what I want people to understand is that um, I love the ideal of marriage and the concept that marriage is supposed to be the solidif solidification of your love for your partner. Uh, for me, in this instance, my wife, right? About uh, when I find my wife, right? So there's a reality to this 
this concept. The reality of marriage is a contract. That's why they literally give you a piece of paper. They don't just say you're married. They give you something, right? They give you something tangible because it is a contract, all right? You're now binding all the assets along with all the liabilities that you hold to one another. You are no longer a sole proprietorship. You are now, let's go into real estate. You are no longer a sole proprietorship. You are now a multi general LLC, right? It ain't no one now. At least there ain't no one in the sense of you are um, the sole owner, all your assets and liabilities. Now they're conjoined. Now you consolidated all your issues, right? Because the reality of it is it is a contract. But the the metaphorical version of the of a marriage is supposed to be based on love. It is supposed to be based on the concept of love. That's why, like when I when I say, and I try to hold true to this, I would be like, "Yo, when I get married, I'm going to tell my wife, uh, sign this prenup for me." And people be like, "Well, if you love her, why you want to sign a prenup? Check this out." That is my way of saying, okay, that means that you are marrying me for me. That means there should be no, I don't see why there should be an argument about this because hello, if this is love and you believe in our love, then you should know without a doubt that whether this doesn't, you know, whether the storm and whether the struggle, that I'm going to take you after take care of my kids and support you until you're able to support yourself after the fact. You should be able to believe that because you believe that I love you, right? Why are you arguing about something? Because it's insurance. Remember, it's a contract. So you should need no prenup. And especially if I'm marrying my, my kindred spirit, that means that she gonna have her own money anyway. So we gonna be we gonna ball regardless. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 my biggest thing. You know, people disregard uh, the reality of it. Why do you think every time a celebrity gets divorced, you see all these big old payouts, right? Or you see, well, I want him on child support. Like one of the things that he mentioned, which is very true. Like if you watch Divorce Court, they don't be talking about I want my love back. They don't be talking about splitting up the assets and the value of the assets of my love. Oh, my love is assessed this, this, and this. No, they talk about the house, the car, and who gonna live with who. That's that's what they talk about. They don't they don't really go in depth and detail about love. That's not what divorce court is there for. Divorce court is there to renegotiate this former contract and what is owed to this party and that party. That's what divorce court is about. It ain't about love, which is why I say there is a realistic version to marriage. And then there's the metaphorical and emotional aspect of marriage, which is supposed to be based on love. Which is why I be like, hey, look, you really love me. I signed a prenup. You don't need my money. You know I love you. You good. You should believe that, especially when it comes to us. Like, we having kids. It shouldn't be no thought in your mind like, oh, I'm not going. No. Should be no thought in your mind that I'm not gonna uh, participate in my kids' life and raise my kids. None whatsoever. Because 
if you decide to marry me, then what are, what are we saying? That means that you know the man that is in front of you. People be like, oh, you never truly know a person. No, no, no. You know the person that is in front of you because there's a time frame into where the, the shades and layers from the first date to the day we get married, you should pretty much be comfortable with every aspect of me. That's why they say, you know, the first date is the first impression. And then after like six months to like two years, you kind of start knowing the person for the things that they don't show outside in the social world. And you know them from behind closed doors. That the behind closed doors is when y'all move in together. Then once you see the behind closed doors and when y'all move in together, you pretty much got to, that, at that stage, you really should be getting in down in the grip about who that person is. And therefore, you now know you should now know that person as an entirety. And at that point, you if you know that person as an entirety, then that means what? That means that you have now chosen to love that person in that entirety. And that's the person that you marry. If you can love that person in entirety, then boom, y'all should get married. And there should be, you know, no discussions back and forth about none of that. Straight like that. Um, and so that is the inclusion of the show. Uh, I'm your boy, the Lost African Afro boy. Uh, please like and share, follow, subscribe, and um, I will holler at y'all later. <laughs>